to Motherkind. This is the show that's going to help you feel more empowered and confident in your life as a mother. This week, I have an amazing guest for you. She is the UK's leading motherhood coach. She has studied, researched and coached for more than 10,000 hours on how to help mothers transform into the happiest, most confident versions of themselves. Yes, you guessed it. It's me. This week's guest is me. I was interviewed by my friend Sophie Brock and I loved the chat so much that I wanted you all to hear it too. So listen on to learn my story of the light bulb moment that led me to start Motherkind. The one thing that I wish all mothers knew, and I think you'll be surprised by what it is, and how with so much focus on parenting these days, how you can feel empowered and equipped without feeling overwhelmed by all the advice, often unsolicited. I hope you love it. Let me know what you think. Can you do me a quick favour? If you think about it, you would have discovered this podcast from someone sharing it with you. Perhaps a guest, perhaps a friend, perhaps it was in the school WhatsApp group. We don't spend a penny on advertising. So this podcast has grown because of you. We are a community grown movement. So please, can you do me a favour and pay it forward? Share this podcast today. Share it with just one friend. And if we all did that, we'd reach millions more with this supportive, empowering content in a motherhood world full of judgment and pressure and comparison. We all need more motherkind. So help me grow the show. Please do share it with just one friend. I hope you love the episode. Here it is. Thank you for being here with us, Zoe. I'm really looking forward to this conversation and it feels like a real privilege having you here in conversation with me. I know you've interviewed me on your podcast, but I think as I mentioned when we last spoke, your podcast was one of the first that I discovered and listened to along with one we have in Australia, Nourishing the Mother. And I used to go on walks with the Prem and I'd have Motherkind, Nourishing the Mother. And it was just such a balm and such a sense of actually company in early mothering for me. So thank you so much for joining me here. Oh, it's really nice to hear that. I'm really honoured, actually, because you're someone that I look to, you know, who has so much knowledge and wisdom in this space. So, yeah, that feels really nice for me to hear. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I would love for you to share with us and listeners, for those who may not have come across Motherkind, although I'm sure most have, what tell us a little bit, a bit about your background. What led you into seeing the gap that existed and then responding to that gap through what you've created with Motherkind? Yeah, so when I became a mother seven years ago, I had been lucky, I say that now, that I'd had a relatively big breakdown when I was 23, which had led me into therapy, into lots of healing, really into the world of self-development. And I absolutely loved it. So I knew that being a mother was hard. But if I'm honest, I thought I'll probably have a handle on the emotional side of things because I had spent so much time in my 20s and early 30s, really figuring that side of me out. And what happened, no surprise, was the absolute opposite of that. And I felt completely unprepared for what I now know is that word matrescence. I didn't know that word. So it really sideswept me how differently I felt about myself. I felt guilty all the time. I'd never experienced that before. I thought to myself, what is going on? I felt not good enough. 
I felt like I was constantly failing my little girl, you know, my deeply longed for and loved little girl. I struggled to breastfeed. I struggled to connect. I, I just felt really awkward in my role as mother. I noticed I started to obsessively research and, you know, I have such perfectionist tendencies as many women of our generation do. And I, you know, that controlling perfectionist side of me went wild. My relationship changed. I felt really anxious. I was someone before motherhood, I would dart about London where I live. I'd go to, you know, I had quite a big job. I'd go to lots of different meetings and and handle a lot. And I remember when Jessie was about six months, I hadn't really left where we lived very much. And I really wanted to go to this workshop from this yoga teacher that I loved. And it was right on the other side of London. And I remember it took me about a week to build up to that. Mm. You know, how I was going to get there, the logistics of it, the anxiety that came with that. And this was something that I would do multiple times a day moving around the city. And I really just felt like a different person and I didn't know why. And I did what women tend to do when we don't understand what is happening. We blame ourselves. I just found myself blaming myself. I must be not cut out for this. I made a terrible mistake, I thought at one point. I am a terrible mother. But something that I'm good at is that I'm a seeker and a learner. So I thought there must be some knowledge out there to help me. So I started where you would make sense to start, which is with the parenting books. But what I found in most of those parenting books was just more reasons to beat myself up, more reasons to be critical, more reasons to decide that I didn't know what I was doing and I was doing it wrong because none of them actually spoke to my experience as the mother or even as the parent. So I remember there was this one book and, oh gosh, Jessie must have been about four months. And it said, good mothers can identify their baby's cries easily. And it had this table in it of nine different cries and how they all sounded different. And I remember that page in that book wrote me because all her cries sounded the same to me. Mm. In fact, I found it really triggering. I hated hearing her crying. And I thought, this is terrible. Like, I am a terrible mother. So then I turned to content to social media. And what I found there was really polarizing. I found lots of accounts talking about how hard it was that definitely validated me. I thought, yes, it's not just me. But a lot of them were talking about the solution being drinking gin or, you know, making real light of it. And I didn't feel very light and I don't drink. So I was like, oh, where do I go from here? Or on the other side on social, what I found was lots of perfection, lots of, you know, matching pictures and pretty florals. And I thought, you know, where are the solutions and the answers? I cannot be the only one. I can't be. And that's where most transformations start. That's where most change starts is asking yourself a really powerful question. So I just thought there must be some answers. So I put the parenting books down. I put the baby books down. I unfollowed a lot of those sort of mum blogger social accounts. And what I started to do was read around the subject. I'm a reader. Like I have always loved reading. You can see my bookshelf here is full of books. So I started to read different genres. I started to read about motherhood in different cultures. I started to read Gabor Mate and really understand what it means to be a parent and emotionally connected. I started to understand a really deep and new level that actually this role of mother was about me looking after myself just as much as it was me looking after my child. That was completely new to me because I had a mother who had martyred herself and burned out numerous times during my childhood from giving everything to everyone around her and nothing to herself. 
that ignited a huge passion in me because I started applying some of these ideas and very quickly it started to change how I felt about myself as a mother. I started to address my inner critic. I started to understand why all of this was coming up. I learned that word matrescence. And so my first idea with this huge passion was I'm just going to start a blog. I never thought it would turn into a business. I never thought it would turn into the career that I have now. I thought, I'm just going to start a blog. I really want somewhere to capture all of this information that I'm learning. And I felt incredibly passionate. I was telling anyone that would listen, my poor friends. And then I realized, actually, there's tons of blogs. And I loved podcasts. I absolutely loved them. And I was into a few American ones at the time. that It wasn't as big. This was eight years ago. So it was really different, particularly in the parenting space. And I looked in the parenting category and there was nothing talking to the mother, the experience of the mother in the UK. So I had no other plan than that. I talk about, you know, I had this 50 pound mic. I think that might be being generous. I think it was probably 20 pounds. If I knew now about the work that goes into creating that sort of content, I wouldn't have started. But my passion was so big. I just wanted to start talking to people about this. So I started and I called it mother kind because I could see how hard I was on myself. And I was like, what I really need is kindness to myself. What I really need to know is that I am enough, that I'm not failing, that this is a really hard job that I'm actually completely ill-equipped for because of the way that society talks and educates mothers about motherhood. And I wanted to feel part of a community. And, you know, it's, I love you think about humankind and humans coming together. So I, I love that word mother kind for that reason as well, for bringing that sense of community and togetherness. And I just started and it was terrible. Some of the early episodes, you can barely hear what me or the guest was saying because it's so bad. But, you know, I had a passion and I think that passion shines through and it shone through for some reason. And I got incredible guests for some reason. And I've done an episode a week for six years. We've never missed a week, which blows my mind. We have four million downloads. Motherkind is becoming a movement now. So I get mums from all over the world messaging me saying, I'm prioritizing myself for the first time ever. I'm learning how to care for myself and my children. I'm setting boundaries. I'm protecting my energy. I'm saying no. I'm loosening up on some of that tight grip of control and perfectionism. And I feel so much better. I get these messages every day and it's incredible to see how far and wide it's gone. Wow. What a journey. Thank you for sharing that with us, Zoe. It's, you know, incredibly inspiring in many ways. And I know that we'll connect with different parts of your story and how that is part of our own stories, right? The struggle of the early days, the being led by curiosity. And I think, you know, that kind of really struck me in your reflection because so much of that is, I think, key to this space of being open to motherhood changing us and being open to being changed. And even the fact that, you know, anyone listening to this podcast, you're likely led by some sort of curiosity or a sense of wanting to learn more about your experience, about the world, about the context that you're living within and going ahead and doing it. I mean, I, you know, I'm really curious to ask you a little bit more about that in terms of how you've navigated building what you have in the context of your own mothering and smile as you say the 50 pound mic I had this I think I just recorded into my phone actually and my early episodes I went under a blanket to try and help the sound quality (laughs) and I would have to pause because my daughter kept waking up so I'd like run upstairs and feed her come back down get under the blanket record and I think there's something 
in what you've shared with us that really speaks to the innovation and creativity that can be part of mothering. And I wonder in all your experience now that you've gathered over talking to so many guests, key leaders, researchers, thought leaders in this space, and all that you've been able to gather and learn and share with other mothers and support mothers through with your own work that you do with mothers. What do you think and what do you see and identify as some of the the kind of the key challenges, I suppose, especially over the course of the time you've been doing this? Do you see them as reoccurring? Do you think that we've shifted much in that space? Kind of how would you identify where we are now and perhaps where we've been over the last, you know, six to eight years and what you've learned in this space? Yeah, it's a good question, actually. And I think what has changed is that there are far more conversations talking about the pressures that mothers talking about how society hasn't set us up generally to support mothers. The the conversations are very different than when I entered this space six years ago, which is incredible. I think it takes a long time for narratives and conversations and cultures to trickle down into action-taking and actually different lived experiences. So, you know, there's some really shocking statistics. You know, 93% of mothers report feeling burnout. You know, so clearly we have an issue with mothers being able to not only care for themselves, but be in a structure that enables them to be able to care for themselves. You know, we're still living in a time, you know, we've got cost of living crisis here in the UK. So there is an awful amount of pressure. Many, many, many mothers are just in survival mode. So I think, yes, the conversation has changed. And I think it's really exciting. And I love being part of that, you know, and Sophie, we're part of that together. But I think it will take a long time for us to actually see the shift that they say that it takes, you know, we carry seven generations of beliefs. And when I notice myself thinking, I'll handle that. It's my job to handle that. I'll do that. I'm not going to rest. I'm not worthy of lying on the sofa. I have to keep going. I know that that is generational for me. That isn't my original idea. So I think it will take a few generations for us to really see the impact of the conversations that are happening now. But I'm interested to know, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that there's kind of the way that I would frame it is similar to what you've said there in that we can make individual shifts and we can work through some of those shifting of beliefs and paradigm and ways of thinking, but that they will come back at us, through us, also because of our socialization. We continue to live within a world that is unchanged. So when you're trying to parent or mother or move in a different way, that is in any way countercultural to what is seen as the norm, then we're kind of going to be constantly and frustratingly pulled back into it in various ways. And I wonder how have you been able to, or how do you sustain a level of fidelity, commitment, passion, focus, drive, vision? Because a lot of the people I know who listen to this podcast, you know, are well versed now in what the perfect mother myth is and how we can move through self-sacrificial narratives. And I think there's an extra layer of critique that can come in on the self when you do have an awareness educationally of some of these things, 
they're still in, in you, you know, and you're still going through that process of deconditioning. How has that been for you to navigate that and do the work that you do with such consistency over such a period of time, as well as being a mother yourself? How have you navigated that? Yeah, I mean, it's like I talk about it's like a bungee rope. So I can think I am going to value myself enough to rest before the school pickup. That bungee rope of that old belief, you know, no, the dishes are dirty in the sink and you haven't taken the laundry load out of the washing you know, machine yet and it's going to smell, you know. That bungee jump of back to that old programming, I call it, is really strong. But every time I get one of those thoughts, I just choose to use it as fuel to show myself, wow, these run really deep in me. These beliefs run really deep in me. That's why I need to override them with a new belief, which is I deserve rest. I'm going to have a way more successful, stressful after school time. You know, the post-school collapse, my kids are going to melt down at me. It is, I'm so much more going to be able to be the mother that I want to be if I lie down on the sofa for five minutes. So I actually choose to see old programming and thinking as evidence of why I need to break it, mm-hmm. not as a reason to go back to it. And of course, I do that really imperfectly. Sometimes I do get up and push myself and get all the jobs done. And I do that when then thing, you know, when I've done all the jobs, then I'll let myself rest. I fall back into that all the time. That's okay. I don't have to do it perfectly. That's not the aim at all. The aim is, is that I do have, I give myself a choice. Whereas I think before in early motherhood, I felt very choiceless. I was just running on this kind of autopilot of all these absorbed ideas. The should syndrome is what I call it. All these shoulds of what I should be doing as a mother. You know, mothers should do everything for their children. Mothers shouldn't focus on themselves. Mothers should do all the work around the house. You know, mothers should work. Mothers shouldn't work. You know, all these shoulds that we put on ourselves. And I think, you know, I didn't have a choice about that because I hadn't examined it. You use that word reflection. I hadn't done any reflection. I hadn't examined it. So of course I was just running those beliefs. But now I've got that level of choice because I've examined it. It doesn't mean that I'm always going to take the right turn in the road. Sometimes I go left and I might get a little bit burnt out again. And that's, again, just a reminder. It's just a reminder. It's like when you, you know, you burn yourself on the hob. It's like, how that hurts. Okay, well, next time I need to remember to turn it off. It's the same thing. We can use challenges that we have as loving reminders. Okay, I cannot push myself in this way and not burn out or feel angry or triggered or exhausted or depleted. I have to, I have to give myself that choice now. Mm, Yeah, I love that. And I love that kind of your response there again, highlights what you said earlier on at the start of your journey, being led by curiosity. Good. Okay. Here's something that's coming up for me. How can I be curious about that? What can that tell me? What information does that reveal to me? And allowing that to be an imperfect practice. That's the only way that it can be. And you know, there are some circumstances or a context where it's like, okay, where it feels like I'm choiceless here. And maybe I have a lot of constraint around me and I don't have much agency in where I can move, but I can at least work to reframe it. You know, who can I reach out to and have a chat with as a friend? How can I move these feelings through me and feel validated and heard? And I think your platform provides a really powerful way to do that globally in having these sorts of conversations.
curious as to how, you know, had sent you this question in thinking about what I'd like to ask you for this interview. And something that I reflect on is this relationship between experts and expertise and those who are seen as experts and mothers, you know, and I'm mindful of framing it in that way because mothers are experts too. But we have access to such a wide array of information now. And as you said, I mean, the books on parenting have just boomed and there are so many incredible resources out there for us now. And you've spoken to these incredible people on your podcast and make information accessible. And that's incredibly empowering and literally, I mean, life-changing for many of us in various ways. And I'm also wondering in your coaching work with mothers and from what you've observed and have experienced, how do you think sometimes access to information, it can feel like sometimes ignorance is bliss in some ways or a sense of, oh, now that I know this, I can't unsee it. Or now that I have access to these resources, we can take on the extra load of being the intergenerational cycle breaker and healer for our families. And we can place even more pressure on ourselves kind of unintentionally. So I just wonder what you think about that and how you've reflected on that, given all of the conversations that you've had and the ways that you support mothers. Yeah, it's a really good question. Information overload is a real thing. It's what I call a micro pressure. So we have macro pressures, which, you know, might be I need to earn money, I need to break cycles, I need to be a good mother. And we have these micro pressures, which are the little things that just impact our nervous system. They impact us day in, day out. And information is one of those. So the average adult will consume about 80,000 pieces of information a day. That is insane, especially as our brains are no different. We don't have a new brain to learn how to handle the new digital world that we live in. It is exactly the same brain and works in exactly the same way as the ones that we had when we were living in small communities of 50 people. So we just aren't designed to take in the amount of information that we do. So we have to be really discerning. You know, we think that, you know, I do this all the time. Oh, I need a little brain break. I'm just going to open Instagram. It is not a brain break to open Instagram. It's an assault on my nervous system and my senses. So, you know, how we used to get information was in those tribes of 50. So when we got bigger than 50, we would break off and another group was formed because that was the way that we were designed to be in community, in small community. And information that we learn about mothering and parenting would literally be what we could see and touch and hear. That would be the only way that we could access it. And it actually blows my mind how far away we are from that now because we've lost that community. We don't live like that. You know, many mothers, you know, because of lots of reasons, and and I'm not the right expert on this. You know, I only know the high level headlines on all the reasons as to why that has happened. Capitalism, urbanization, you know, people moving away from their families in order to earn more money, more dual working families. So we really don't live like that anymore. We need to get our information from other sources. And I think Because science is always developing and we're learning now more than any generation, we are the generation that knows more about the importance of parenting than ever before. That is an amazing thing because without a doubt, we are creating the foundation for far better mental health, I think, for generations in the future. It's also a huge pressure to have that information about how important it is, but not have the support systems to actually be able to put a lot of it in place. But because we know now about things like, 
you know, when I was growing up in the 80s, feelings and emotions were not something that was understood or talked about. They were to be sort of swept under the carpet and, you know, you move on and you get on with it. We know now that being able to, you know, as a parent, being able to allow a child to have their feelings is the foundation for good mental health for the future. So lots of us also want to do things differently that was done to us. And that creates a gap. So how do we fill that gap? That's with knowledge. But I think it's really important that we have to always put that knowledge through a value lens. And you asked about my coaching and, you know, in my coaching, I really do lead with this values. So once we know what is important to me, what is important to you as a mother, then you can put the information through that lens, or you can seek out information that matches that value. I think the other thing that really helps to take the pressure off, it helped me, was learning that this idea that mothers just know is a myth. So before I became a mother, I really did believe that when I birthed my baby, I would birth a new part of my brain, which meant that I would know how to breastfeed. I would know my baby's cries. I would know how to soothe her. I would just know how to do all these things because I'd been told about this mother's instinct. Well, that's now been proven to be untrue. There is an instinct that we develop, but we don't develop it innately. We don't just know it. We develop it by time spent with our baby. That's how we develop it. That's how you get to know, oh, it's their right eye that goes droopy first. That's when they need a nap. Or when you sit with your toddler for hours and you're playing, you know, those games like trains on the track, hour after hour after hour, and you start to learn their cues just before they're about to have a tantrum. You don't just know that. That's not instinctive. That's because you've put the hours in. It's like any relationship. You know, with your best friend or your partner, you know what mood you're in just by the way that the key goes in the door or the way that they answer the phone. It's the same because you've spent so much time with that person. You instinctually know what they need, how they feel, what's going on for them. And when I learned that, I cannot tell you the pressure that that took off me. I was like, and it's not gendered, by the way. So if a grandparent spends as much time with a child or another parent or extended members of the family, they will also get that instinct about your child. And when I learned that, it just, it completely cut through that thought that I had that I'm not cut out for this because I didn't have that innate knowing of what to do. So I think that's really important to put in the cycle. I think the other thing about, you know, there's lots of conversations isn't there about trusting your inner voice. Well, for a long time and still now, I can't trust my inner voice because my inner voice is critical. My inner voice is actually, and I don't call it the inner critic anymore. I call it the inherited critic, which I learned from Dr. Nicola Perra, known as the holistic psychologist, who's been on the podcast a couple of times. You know, I really learned that that voice that says you're not doing it right. I can't trust that. I think it's gets, it can be really confusing for mothers when they hear about this term instinct and they hear about this inner knowing because my inner knowing, my inner default programming is to beat myself up. So I can't listen to it. You know, I often say about 99% of my thoughts are not true and bordering on abusive. So I really have to learn how to trust a different part of me. And that's like building up a muscle, a new muscle for me of a kinder part of me. So 
sort of learning not to listen to this inner bully and learning much more to this inner coach, which I've just, I've worked on over the years. I've worked on that voice and building up a counter to the critic. I think that this is something that is talked about a lot. And I mean, I talk about this as well in terms of being able to connect in with your inner knowing and how do we figure out what it is that is socially inscribed versus our values. And like, it's really difficult to figure out. And I was speaking about this actually with therapists and in the context of somatic work and embodiment and trying to figure out like where is knowing in the body? Like what does the gut feel like? What does the heart space feel like? What do your shoulders feel like when you think about that? What like tuning in with that, which I've been having to like personally practice a lot more at getting to know and listen to what my body is telling me as well as my head because I'm so up here for a lot of my work and a lot of my thinking and and a lot of my decision-making. And I think that it can be so freeing, as you've described, to say, actually, you weren't meant to know at all. You're not meant to know all of the answers. You're not meant to know how to instinctively breastfeed. You're not meant to know the 25 different cries of your baby. And the fact that you don't, or if you struggle with that, does not mean anything about the quality of who you are as a mother. does not mean anything about who you are as a person, your self-worth, because so often we can kind of attach our sense of worthiness with how good of a mother we are or perceive that we are or think that others perceive that we are. And so I love the way you've described that as being really freeing and being able to put our experience in context too of going, you know what, we weren't meant to be doing this alone. We were meant to learn how to mother in context too. I have thought about this in the experience of my own life going, okay, well, how often was I around babies before I had a baby? How many nappies had I changed? How many times have I got a baby to sleep? How much have we had that experience? And I think that's something that many of us have had stripped away from us because of those things you mentioned, urbanization, smaller family sizes, or just different things that have happened socially, that we don't have that embedded learning experience within our community and relationships. And then what also struck me about what you said, which is that never before have we had this much access to this much information. There was a conversation I've had on the podcast with Greer Kirchenbaum. Uh, she's a neuroscientist and speaks about the nurture revolution. And she talks about all of this in the context of brain science and saying, we now know more than we've ever known about the infant psychology, about how babies work, about how our brains work, about genetics. And I think, wow, mothers of our generation and those of us who are mothering and parenting right now, we need like a massive pat on the back because we have access to all of this information, which is great, but also we're trying to do things in a way that haven't been done before. And that can feel like such a gift, but it can also feel really heavy as well, can't it? trying to just figure things out and muddle our way through as all parents previous to us have also done. Yeah, and I, th I think that's why we need that skill of being able to see what we are doing. Mm. So, you know, it's actually a trick of the brain, this negativity bias, which essentially our, your brain is always going to focus on what you're not doing. That's no, it's no fault of you. It's no fault of me. It's just the way that our brains work. So we have to get develop this skill of being able to notice what we are doing because like you say otherwise I think the amount of information that's out there 
would drive us all insane. And I think that's where values are really important as well. So if one of your top values is emotional connection and emotional health, which is mine and parenting, like that is what I just want more than anything for my girls, is that they have a stable and safe base within themselves where they can regulate, where they can process, where they can navigate through the world without being knocked off course by everything that happens to them. Then this other skill of being able to start really small. And I always talk about the 1%. And I got this when I was in corporate world. So before Motherkind, I worked in big organizations and they would always talk about the 1%. What are the 1%? Which are the little tweaks that we were going to make as a business, which add up and make huge changes. And I thought it's exactly the same in mothering. What are the 1%? What is a 1% that I could do today or this week that would move me in a tiny, tiny bit in the right direction? And there's a book called Atomic Habits, which I'm sure everyone's heard of because it's huge. And he talks in there about, you know, when a plane changes direction, just 1%, it ends up in a completely different destination. And I think that is such an important skill that we have to learn to develop is Yes, we might want to do all these things differently. Yes, we might have read all these books. Yes, we might be completely fired up, but we are also still living in a system that doesn't serve us. We are also, many of us, just trying to survive, trying to get through the day, trying to get tea on the table, trying to get the kids in bed, trying to get to work, stay on top of the mental load. We can't add to that pressure, but it doesn't mean that we don't, that we just give up and go, it's too hard. The 1% is the key tool that's going to help you do hold both those things. Mm, Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's such powerful imagery and it's something that we can take and integrate into our everyday experience as well of small things, the 1% changes, the little differences, the five minute lie down where you can. And something you mentioned earlier in our conversation was when you first went to look for what was out there in terms of the space of parenting and books and social media particularly that there can be this kind of split in some senses of, oh, motherhood is so hard. When's at one o'clock? You know, this is using humor actually and talking about the really hard parts of mothering. And then there can be a glorification of motherhood and idealization and the perfectionist ideal of what it can mean to be a mother. And I think, you know, thankfully, more of us are in this space who are able to talk about mothering and motherhood in a much more nuanced way in a way that honors the complexity and the richness and the depth of the challenge. And something that I sometimes grapple with in my own work, not so much in this podcast, because like conversations, we get the opportunity to talk about things complexly, but probably more so on social media, is I feel as though I need to educate and contextualize the social construction of motherhood and all the things that's wrong about our society to show mothers the ways they're being let down with a purpose and intention of alleviating individual responsibility as like a first step. So kind of awareness, it's not all your fault. It's not all on you. And then we can kind of move into more movement of agency and values. But something that I think can be tricky, I find tricky to talk about, and I'm curious as to how you navigate this or think about it, is to speak to and capture or try to the magic of being a mother and the gifts that are a part of this experience and the wisdom that is brought to us and through us through being a mother and going on this journey and essentially kind of our experience of 
becoming mothers has been this catalyst for a transformative shift and change in ways that are enriching as well as challenging. I wonder what you think about that and this idea of motherhood as a catalyst for transformation and how you grapple with that or describe that. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I've thought about this a lot as well, too. And I think, you know, generally in the West, we live in quite an emotionally immature society. And and it makes sense why that was, you know, we didn't understand, you know, we talked about the seven generations back, you know, for the last seven generations, there really hasn't been a focus on emotional literacy or emotional understanding. And a result of that emotional immaturity is that our thinking can become really black or white. It's this or that. It's really hard or it's really amazing. Emotional maturity and emotional literacy is being able to hold both. Emotional maturity is an and. So it is really hard and it's really incredible. I talk about never harder, never happier. I have never had a harder season in my life, growing the business, managing the mental load, raising two children, being married, having to give to my relationship and my friendships and myself. I've never had a harder season. I've also never been happier. It is a skill that we have to learn to be able to add an and in. We can say, I've had a really shit day and I had a gorgeous moment with my little girl on the sofa. You know, the mental load is I cannot even think with everything that I'm holding. And I'm so grateful that I've even got these things to hold because I've got my child. We can train ourselves to hold both. And I think when we can add an and in, it brings some balance and it brings nuance. And I think that is what you do really well with your content. I think I do it really well with my content. And I think gratitude is the other thing that I've really learned, that gratitude is almost like the foundation for all these hard feelings. Because when I can still have gratitude for what I have got in my life, it stops those big feelings completely knocking me over. It stops the overwhelm from, you know, it's like when you put a pair of glasses on, you know, like if you put a pair of tinted glasses on and suddenly everything looks green or red. Gratitude makes the color, you know, you can see both at the same time. I am exhausted and, you know, I'm so grateful that I was able to get up with my baby in the night that I'm able to do that, that I am the person that when she sees, she actually settles. How incredible is that? Even though I am exhausted. So that's how we do it. But we have to, you know, when we go out there on social media, a lot of people don't want to have that nuanced conversation. We're also battling an algorithm that likes and plays into division. You know, the most controversial posts where you're going to get people going, yes, and you're going to get some people going, what a load of rubbish. Those are the ones that tend to pick up the most amount of speed on social media. So the whole platform is really designed around derision. That's the word. The whole platform is designed around derision. And I think we have to remember that, you know, with creators like you or I, where we are trying to bring a more balanced, nuanced view to it, that actually those posts don't tend to go viral because that's how we are as humans. Again, now it's just the way that our brain works. Our brain, things that shock us out of our, you know, we know that 80% of our day, we're on auto. We're just going through our day. So we're scrolling, we're scrolling, we're scrolling, we're scrolling. And then suddenly, boom, something in red that says, this is wrong. It's going to stop you. And the moment you stop and watch it, it's going to get shown to more people. Users of social media have to be aware of that. Us as creators of social media have to be aware of that. 
And we have to bring our most mature, balanced selves. I have this little rule with myself where when I'm feeling a bit shaky, I won't consume social media. So I, I'm always creating because that's my job. But I also love consuming it. I love connecting with people like you. And you know, there's an amazing community, isn't there, around motherhood. But if I'm feeling overwhelmed or like not good enough, which happens a lot, or like an imposter, which happens a lot, I just won't, I won't go through a scroll because I know... I will finish that feeling worse than when I started. Yeah, I think that's a very common experience. (laughs) And again, it's kind of like where, you know, it's interesting. It's like a a microcosm in some ways or a representation of what we're doing in motherhood, which is essentially finding ways to work within the system in a way that works for us. And, you know, that's how I kind of see social media as well and making sure and holding on to, as you've emphasized a number of times in this conversation, holding on to your values, your values, your sense of integrity, your sense of of what is right for you and your kind of guiding light or anchoring that, which, you know, you do so beautifully on your platform and in your conversations that you have with so many incredible people across the world. I recognize we're kind of coming to the end of our time here, Zoe, and I've really appreciated this conversation and all you've shared. And, and I wonder if there is anything else you feel called to share or reflect on or share with listeners before we finish up about mothering in today's world. I mean, I've loved this conversation, Sophie. It's been so nice to connect and I've really enjoyed it. So thank you. I think, you know, the thing to remember is that we are mothering in a completely different environment than even a generation ago. And to use that fact to give yourself compassion. And if you struggle to give yourself compassion, that's okay too. That's a skill that you need to learn. You know, I've got hundreds of episodes on that one skill alone because I had to learn it myself. So it's essentially, we have to learn that skill of giving ourselves a break. Because if we take all of that pressure and that perfectionism and that not good enoughness and that critic to meet the many real pressures that exist for us as mothers today, you know, I think the result of that, and that's that 93% statistic, is burnout. So we have to learn, it's absolutely vital that we give ourselves a break and we give ourselves compassion and we focus on what we are doing, not on what we're not doing. What a beautiful message to finish with. Thank you so much, Zoe. You're welcome. Thank you so much. So that was the episode. I hope you loved it. If you loved hearing more from me, then please do go back and listen to last week's episode where I share my four motherhood mindset shifts that I am making in 2024 to feel even more peaceful, empowered and confident. And as ever, please do leave a review on iTunes. It makes a huge difference to the number of mums we can reach with this content. And I will see you next time.